Borak Thong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 112th episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast where we make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the always exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1984 sci-fi special. Um, increasingly, these specials are a combination of uh, longer new stories with new with di- different creator teams and uh, excellent 2080 classic action. Um, now with several pages as well of uh, Dread uh, Saturday comics. The price of the special has only gone up five pence this year to 60p, but the most important thing about this is that my guest for this episode, Stephen Reed of the Everything Comes Back to 2080 podcast. Yay, me. Yeah. Hooray! Um, so it's a great show. Covers both the current prog of 2000 AD and surrounding topics, including movies, TV, comics, and everything else. Because everything comes back to 2000 AD. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say it was a great show. You might get in trouble for that one. But it's, oh, you uh, know. It's, yeah, it's a show. Hey, I'm not. I'm not interested in uh, British comics drama. I'm interested in British comics history. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, can you share your hit, your 2080 history with us? Yeah, um, I my first prog. I'm a prog winner. All right. Um, my dad actually bought me the prog all those many years ago, and uh, when I got old enough, what's really funny is um, we call the bathroom in our house the reading room. <laughs> so my dad would get the comic first, and he'd go into the bathroom read it first, and then hand it to me. Then as I got older, I would buy it, and I would re- go to the bathroom read it first and hand it to him. <laughs> So it's it's kind of an interesting one. He was the an old ultimate rite of passage, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all to do with the toilet, um, <laughs> which is kind of appropriate if you read 2008 now. Oh no! Right but oh, um, <laughs> yes, I have to go there. Um, start doing the podcast around nine years ago. Next year will be our tenth anniversary. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, we've been I've been to a couple of my co-hosts. Uh, Richard McCall was the first co-host, and he actually owns a, a KTT, one of the awards that Thar gave out. In, what? In, uh, oh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> uh, for his work that he, yeah for that work that he did on everything comes back to 2000 AD. Oh, wow. uh, Rich did a lot of the website stuff too, and then um, we had uh, an American, Luke Foster, on the show. He was a co-host for a while, and now we settled with John Burtis and um, uh, UK's own John Burtis. He's the one that owns the Seller of Dread. He's the ultimate dread fan, and he will never get a KTT. <laughs> no. <laughs> then we have Stephen Ross from California. Steve, Steve is a big 2008 fan, even before the, the Dread '95 movie, and uh, he, he's he's uh, pretty good. And he goes on a lot of marches. If you read the, if you listen to our podcast, you'll find he goes on a lot of marches. Cool, man. So okay, I guess. So what gave you the idea to start the Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD podcast? I don't know if you remember a podcast called Comic Geek Speak. I don't think I do. I'm sorry. Okay. No, those guys have been around forever. They're, they've hit like, a near, I think they're at the 1500 or 2000 episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they've been around. They're, they're long timers, but they would often talk about um, Dan Abnett. You know, they'd read Guardians of the Galaxy or, or mm-hmm. some Alan Moore Swamp thing and stuff like that, but, but they would never read anything 2008 related. I'm like, well, guys, if you like Don Abney here, why don't you read this? Or yeah. if you like Alan Moore here, why don't you read some of his early stuff? See where he came from, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you like uh, Dave Gibbons' artwork on Watchmen, uh, here's Rogue Trooper. Yeah. Here's, you know. So they would never do that. 
and I used to drive me nuts. <laughs> and that's where I got the phrase like I, I would I I'd, I would be a constant uh, poster <laughs> on on the forum on the forum, and I would always say, oh yeah, because everything comes back to 2008. Because whenever they mention a creator, it was like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, I could definitely see that for for so many of of both American and uh, or for, for for American comics, there, there, there's always at least one like 2018 right. guy somewhere. Oh, you like Garth Ennis, but he did yeah. yeah back here, and so you could always trace things back to 2018. So that's where I got the idea from, mm-hmm. and because they weren't talking about 2018, I said. I wonder if I could do a podcast just 2008. Um, we actually started like the way you did, where we review early progs. We'd, we'd review a uh, current issue, and then we would review an old prog, like prog oh, one or prog two, and work on it. And then we just gave up and said, screw it. Let's just do the modern stuff. <laughs> so, so it's great that your podcast is around because to hear the optimism and fun with you <laughs> and Fox it yeah. is awesome. And I can't wait to get hit. The nineties, and then start slashing your wrists. Oh, you know, I think you know. The, I can uh, imagine Fox's reaction. Fox is going to be a big time alcoholic when he when he goes through that phase. I mean, gonna, but I think the the uh, <laughs> the like you know that's honestly that's like our like most commonly asked question. Like it's sort of the uh, what happens in the year two thousand for two thousand AD. But for us, it's like, well, what are you guys going to do in the nineties? Like, how are you going to deal with that? And you know. Like I'm sort of. There is some good stuff. There weren't yeah, all bad. Com- I mean, the whole the whole industry in general went through a bit of a malaise. I mean, even even the '90s in, in the US was not the best. Oh yeah, like in the '90s, well, it's all like like Rob Rob Liefeld and people being yeah. covered in, pa- in pouches and stuff. Yeah, but I, but I sort of thing, yeah yeah. But I, the thing is, you, you preacher came from that uh, in, in the yeah, mid '90s. No, yeah, preacher. The mid '90s, you had the Grant Morrison's JLA, and even with 2008, there was one or two stories that still were pretty decent. Yeah, I'm hoping to find some diamonds in the rough. That's sort of what I always say to those things. <laughs> There's always you might have to dig a bit. You might have to dig it right, bit. exactly. <laughs> you know, but I think it, I think it'll still be fun. So I guess since you're a prog oneer, did you um, read the sci-fi specials when they, when they came out when you were growing up? I guess. Yeah, I, I read a, a good few of them. I actually remember having this issue. Oh, awesome! And I, and I still think I have this issue back in Ireland. It's in my folks' attic. And it's missing the last page for some reason. It's missing oh. the ad at the back. Interesting. Yeah, I. It's funny that sometimes there's just these pages missing. I got the um all the annuals for this year, and my uh my 2000 AD annual has like some blank pages at the end, like right in the middle of this ABC Warriors story, and I'm so <laughs> angry about it. <laughs> but oh my god! It's just like, oh no, what's happening? But uh, oh no, of, not the scorpions! Like I just want to have the whole thing, you know. Yeah. But it's um yeah so these would come out like in, in the summer I guess so you'd like read them like at the beach or something like that or like I guess yeah your summer holidays you got your summer holidays off school like yeah. uh, two months or whatever and that's when all the summer specials came out for all the comics mm-hmm. you know Buster Buster Dandy you know Crazy Cheeky they all mm-hmm. came out during, that's during the awesome summer. yeah that's- it's. It's interesting to just hear the, like the experience of these of, of these comics. I guess I remember, you know, that's when um, in in American comics, like they have annuals that would do the same thing that would sort of come yeah, out that, in that, summer and you're, stuff. You're, it, the American annuals would be similar to the summer specials, right? Yeah, and then there's and nothing always, like these British annuals with the hardcover for yes, Christmas. Yeah, and they were and they were cheap as well. They, they I mean, compared to uh, American comics, you know, mm. and, and the the value of them, what they yeah. crammed into a, into an annual. Is actually pretty good. I mean, you had a hardcover. Yeah, like no, I, five five pounds or whatever. 
Yeah, I love the annuals. I just, I've got a big a big stack of them, sort of what we've come up to in the podcast, like about seven or eight years of them now. And they look great on the shelf, just these like big hardcover, <laughs> like, yeah, like picture books of comics, absolutely. Right, and I, and I always said to myself, well, why didn't the U.S. market do that? Why didn't they do hardcover, you know, annuals, end of year annuals, like to sell at Christmas? Yeah. That'd be awesome. I get, you know, it's just one, I, it's just some weird cultural thing or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's strange. It's just a, it's always interesting. I mean, you know, just the, the, all these differences between American and British comics are always so, it's something that's so similar, but so different. You know, the difference between like monthly versus weekly, um, how well, late, well, I, like English had black, England had black and white and stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I always maintain that, that. American comics is a weekly business because how, how many times does Batman appear in a different title? I mean, that's super true <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But like, so I, I, yeah, because 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 uh, retailers want you to go in every week to buy a comics. So it's, so yeah. it's a it's a weekly business, just that they don't realize it. That's why Countdown works so well. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, not Countdown. Fifty two. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Fifty two when it came out every week. Yeah, yeah. That's and it, it was always the top sellers because it's a you know, and I had different uh, heroes. Like, it might have five pages of Ralph Divney. It might have five pages of Booster Gold. Basically, it was an anthology without knowing it. Mm, right? It's an interesting so, point, yeah. Yeah, and so that was a weekly comic that sold really well. So comic books, to me, even though the U.S. market doesn't realize it, it it's a weekly business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, yeah, when there's, just a, when there's so many versions of certain characters coming out constantly. It certainly makes sense. Right. All right. So, okay, let's get to this sci-fi special. Oh, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> just to just to give you some context for the show, I guess, uh, our last episode, we just finished Prague uh, 361, which means that, like, Johnny Alpha's just finished the, uh, the killing. Like, we're starting Sector House 9. Uh, Gunner just got regened, and we finished the DR and Quinch get drafted story. And then we just finished uh, the Sky Chariots, and we're starting. Uh, oh my the, god, the Dragon there's Heist. Not, there's there's not thing. a bad story in there. It was really like I I just recorded that episode with Fox, and we ended up just sort of like punting and saying that that Future Shocks were the worst, were our worst story, and, the, and they probably weren't even that bad compared they, to some of them. Nah, they were they they were fine. I mean, they they you know Future Shocks are on a different level, but yeah, it was just you know like. <laughs> It's it's so crazy just turning from like Mick McMahon going crazy in uh, Sky Chariots, like Brett Ewan starting Sector House Nine with all like the um, aliens and stuff, or all the ghosts and stuff. Oh, it's a ama- it's an amazing time, <laughs> you know. Oh wow, Sky Chariots is incredible, man. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We like you know spent like like twenty minutes just being like ah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so that's where we are. It's just sort of in, in our progs. Um, this special here has a cover by Ian Kennedy with Dread on his lawmaster, just sort of shooting his bike and shooting us as he rolls along. Um, it's sort of talking about the right stuff, color scan inside. Um, and then on the inside cover, it's uh, Ron well, Smith. Hold, 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 on, hold, on, hold, oh, hold please. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. That's, I think um, Ian Kennedy only did a few things for 2008, and that's, that's one of them. I think he did yeah. only one strip. Dread strip, but that face doesn't look very Ian Kennedy to me. That that face looks kind of Ron, uh, Robin Smith to me. Hmm. Part of his face, like the it, body and everything else is good. Yeah. It's like when, it's like when uh, Kirby started drawing Superman for DC in the seventies. 
Um, right, and, they, and they had another Superman artist that would yeah, come draw, and do him. Draw yeah, draw his face. Draw his face. That looks very Robin Smith to me. I could be completely wrong. I mean, but the rest of it is definitely in Kennedy. Yeah, I wouldn't put it. You know, Robin Smith definitely. You definitely feel Robin Smith's presence in like the specials and the annuals more oh, than uh, regular 2000 director. AD. Yeah, he's the you know he's the art director of 2000 AD, and yeah, he definitely like. He's he he's often really good. Yeah, he's he, I feel like he's done one or two like inside covers for sure of these ones, right. and you know will like sort of s- sub in art when they don't have qu- quite the right thing like sort of on hand. I think he's a great layout guy. I, re- I remember listening to one of your podcasts where you, you had that Boland wraparound cover for Black Mania. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Rob, yeah, yeah. Robin, Robin Smith had given Boland the like do it like this. Yeah, he just gave. Yeah, he basically had the whole, um, the whole like cover drawn, and and, right. and Dave Gibbons just sort of Gibbons it up, <laughs> or no, uh, no uh, Bolland, Bolland, yeah, yeah, Bolland he Bolland it up, yeah, <laughs> exactly, better, yeah. But he was a great ideas guy, and, and some of his layouts for covers were amazing. I mean, this is this is the golden age of 2000 AD. That's what you're oh, reading. For sure. Now. Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, the inside cover has just a bunch of, of, of judges, including Dredd and Hershey. This looks like it's the, it's the same one they used, I think, or a similar picture they used for the, for the cover of the Daily Dread, uh, I, or the, the Daily Star Dread collection, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and Ron Smith, man, how good is he? It's just a lot of real close up of Ron Smith, just drawn, drawn dreads out. You know, Ron Smith does an out of control dread chin and stuff. It's a lot of fun. No, nobody draws <laughs> and the, fascists. And the frown. Nobody, no, yeah, yeah no, nobody draws fascists better than Ron Smith. Absolutely, yeah, just that, just that upside down or that that sideways C of a frown. <laughs> oh man, okay. So let's get to the matter at hand, starting with through one Judge Dredd. <laughs> um, so the script robot for this one is John Wagner and Alan Grant is TV Grover, art robot Cliff Robinson, letting robot Tom Frame. And this I be- is uh, Cliff Robinson's first appearance on our show. And yep. he'll, he'll make his, his debut in the Prague's next episode, I believe. And, you know, he's... Uh, a, a serious 2080 artist. He's done a ton of covers, like over a hundred 2080 covers. I think that's what he's best known for, as well as just drawing dread a lot as well. Um, he's a very, he's very, he's very bold and X X. Yeah, what is it? I, yeah, he's got that same sort of like very like realistic like um yeah like I I was thinking of like Bolland and America and Bolland and Gibbons as both as being kind of an American style, I guess. This sort of like clean yeah. kind of realistic look, I guess. And, yep. and, and, and Robinson's in the same vein as that for sure. Um, and so this time he's drawing a story called The Booby Prize about an illegal game show operating in Mega City One. Uh, sort of like the last sci-fi special, I guess. This is just another, um, like John Wagner, Alan Grant story about a crazy game show, which is definitely one of their like favorite tropes, I think. Um, the, the booby pro, so the game show is, it's, a uh, Marvin Slurry of the Ray Kroc block, who is, of course, the guy who, uh, brought McDonald's to the masses, versus Unctuous Wilson of the Bob Calvi block, who was the head of the Vatican Bank, with possible money laundering, <laughs> uh, mafia mo- money laundering connections. <laughs> Godfather 3. Absolutely. <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, there's, there's a book, there's a book by David Yellop called In God's Name. And okay, it goes yeah. through a whole, uh, the whole Bob Calvi thing with the Pope and everything, the whole thing, the whole shebang. Really good book. <laughs> yeah. But so basically they've got to answer like trivia questions 
And if they get them right, they'll be opening booby traps scattered around the block, the uh, block of their opponents. But they gotta be careful because choosing one of the choices will trigger a flesh disintegrator in their chair. <laughs> also try, also true, which will also be triggered if they try to get out of the chair and uh, say they don't want to play the game anymore. So, you know, it sort of go, goes from here. The game starts with Marvin getting the author of Moby Dick mostly right. You know, he knows it's either Herman Melville or Ethel Merman. So it's like uh, <laughs> Herman, Her, Her, Herman no Ethel. business-like show business. <laughs> and the guy's like, ah, good enough. And it releases a, a massive stink bomb in Bob Calvi with a massive blart. Uh, the the Justice Department like sees this going on. They send some judges to check it out as itching powder uh, fills parts of the Ray Kroc block. Um, they track the source of the broadcast to the Orwell loop, of course, George Orwell, and Dread is on the case. We um, at, at this point we see that uh, this story is a little bit ahead of our Prague timeline, I guess, because the mayor is identified as Dave the Orangutan, which is coming soon to a Space Spinner 2000 episode near you. The <laughs> best mayor ever. Top mayor, man. You don't get him like the like, like Bob the Orangutan anymore. Man, I hope Fox doesn't listen to this, but uh, or you can cut this part out. But man, I was sad when he when he when he got killed. Yeah, it's a bummer. Really no, he'll. Uh, I mean, you know, fi- don't don't worry about. It. He'll be okay. <laughs> I hope he'll so, be okay when it happens. You know, we all got to wear black armbands or something. <laughs> like, so, like, uh, a, a massive flash flood is unleashed on the upper floors of Bob Calvi. Smoke fills the halls of Ray Kroc and Dread tracks the signal to a transport van on autopilot. He jumps aboard as Calvi is filled with foam as well as, uh, you know, and so as well as the water, like someone walks by and says, oh, it must be washing day there because it's just water and bubbles pouring out of the building um dread makes his entry to the van as uh, marvin one of the guests chooses the booby number and instantly skeletonizes from the flesh disintegrator uh, dread en- enters the van and the booby show host hits the ejector seat to escape not realizing that the van is under a viaduct so he just ejector seats right up into the ceiling and like not gets knocked out um, happy to be saved, Unctious goes to stand up and triggers the Chekhov's gun in the seat in the flesh disintegrator in his chair, and he skeletonizes as well. What a mess! Yeah, it's a it's a really funny story, and you, you can tell that um, Cliff Robinson is totally inspired by Boland because even in that last panel with Dread standing there, that looks like the big uh, poster they give away uh, uh, mm-hmm. for for Dread. Um, drawn by Boland. And you notice that this wouldn't have worked with McMahon design skyscrapers <laughs> or star scrapers. That's why they're blocky, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. city blocks. But yeah, what, this story would, would probably not have worked with McMahon organic looking star Right, scrapers. yeah, because they're much more like straight and don't have the sort of individual windows and stuff that are so key in a lot of these in these parts yeah. of these stories. Uh, McMahon's, um, McMahon's star scrapers always look like magic magic mushrooms or something. They always right. look you know? Yeah, it's much more of a of a of like a I don't know like a not Jetsons I guess but yeah like a a way far future look as opposed to a bit more of a prosaic look as like Ron Smith does a lot of times I think yeah 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 so you know the host is taken away to the booby to the uh, to the cubes looks like he looks like he's the one who really won the booby prize but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this is a fun one of just like you know. It's always fun when there's just chaos on the streets of Mega City One, and well, Dread has to like me, stop it, you know. Yeah, it reminds me of the pirate radio guys that used to go out to the sea 
um, mm. used to go between um, uh, different boundaries so that they couldn't get their signal cut off, you know, and, and yeah. like in the early days of pirate radio. So, yeah. so this is kind of similar where the guy's using a moving truck so they can't really pin his uh, location. Right. And I think he's got, I, th- I think it's definitely inspired by that because it's got all the like illegal broadcast, like things written on it and stuff like that. Right. It has a very sort of pirate radio feel for it for sure. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's a pretty good story. Pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. So, but speaking of, um, I don't know, people doing illegal acts, it's Thrill 2 Future Shocks. Uh, this story is a droid in distress. The script robot is RCH Boz- uh, Bonzel. Art robot John Stokes, slaying robot Tony Jacobs. Um, John Stokes will do a little bit of art in the future in 2000 AD, like in the 400s and then in the 1200s. And I've never heard of R- RCH Bonzel before. <laughs> I wonder if that's a pen. I wonder if that's a pen name. I'm like when I am because this is a time travel story and it's in a special. I'm like ninety percent sure that it's uh, Chris Louder who almost always runs under a pen name and all and does a ton of time travels like Future Shocks and stories as well. John Stokes. John Stokes also did some uh, Invisibles work with Grant Morrison. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, and and he came out and they just reprinted. Rebellion reprinted a volume of his book, uh, of, a volume of his stuff, uh, Marnie the Fox, part of the Treasury of British Comics, that he did for oh. Buster, the story of a fox, beautifully illustrated. I nice. mean, this book is incredible. That's amazing. That's good. That's that's more than I know. That's I, I really appreciate that. Um, awesome. So yeah, this is a fun little future shock. Just let the story be told um, of a robot bold sent him into the past was a scientist's plan where man cannot travel, a robot can. Um, it's it's your basic sort of, I don't know, time twister, future shock kind of story. Like they <clears throat> some scientists send a robot into the past. He's named Bob. Um, they, they go into the past. There's no way to bring him back. He's stuck in medieval times. And he doesn't fit in with anyone around him. He's shunned and eventually jailed. But eventually he has enough and uses his massive strength to escape prison. He steals a hooded cloak and fights for right around the land, gaining the name Rob in Hood. Did you groan at that punchline? Uh, I mean, you know, like, listen. Uh, <laughs> All of our heroes are robots. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did love the part where... The woman that he saves, she's kind of like, Ooh, I want to take a look upon my savior. She has a thing for him. Yeah. And then reveals his head. She goes, yuck. Yuck. Yeah. She can't handle, she can't, she can't handle his robotic good looks, you know? That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was, it was a nice little thing, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a definite, definite groaner. Yeah. I think, like, between this one and, uh, the previous Dread Store, Dread Story sort of got my, like, I've, I've got this theory that a lot of times the art in these sci-fi specials, or even the story, like, a lot of this, the new stuff in these sci-fi specials are sort of people's, like, like test outing, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's a lot of times we see people for the first time, and sometimes things are rough. Like, I know we had an early, like, Steve Dillon one in one of these before, yeah, you, also. you know what? You're, you're absolutely right, because there, there is something else in this special that is definitely a tryout. Yeah, exactly. So it's just sort of like, you know... Yeah. Both these two sort of are the yeah the, the tryouts for Cliff Robinson and for John Stokes. I feel like um, yeah. so it's sort of an interesting to sort of early chance at, at some of these guys yeah. like starting things out. You know, do you think Robin Hood met Metal Marion later on in life? Oh, man, I can only hope so because that's <laughs> that's just written in the stars as destiny. You know, not made Marion, Metal Marion. Yeah, exactly. Just a just a you know. 
But speaking of a written in the stuff, listen, we're not gonna, we're not, we're not gonna give 2008 any ideas because you know they're gonna take this new like <laughs> Metal Marion and Robin Hood because they always eat the past. Hey, I'd be, I'd be mm-hmm. interested in this Robin Hood reboot. I like this robot guy. He's got a like, he's got a good outlook on life. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of being written in the stars, it's Thrill 3, The Right Stuff, Slain, and Sideways Talk. So this is sort of one of the filler sections of this special. Um, there's a, a four-page spread about the movie The Right Stuff, which had just come out in 1984. Uh, the pictures are good. There's especially one of my favorite ones from The Right Stuff of uh, Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager walking away from a crash site all covered in like ash and soot and stuff. So you've um, seen it. Oh yeah, I watched it when I was like in high school, I guess. Good for you, man. It's a it's a you, fun movie. You kids these days, yeah, fist shaking. Watch the good stuff. I mean, I I I I will say, if nothing else, like the right stuff is one of those movies that's fun to watch because it's got all these guys that got way more famous, like when they were middle aged as kind of young guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like it's got like because I, everybody knew about their exploits then, as they got you know, right? Got, but everybody knew. Yeah, they so were it's like flying tin cans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying more just like e- even like the actors, like it's got like uh, like Ed Harris in it, who I always think of as being yes, kind, of, kind of an West older World guy. Man. Yeah, but we now he's. I'm just like I'm catching up on it right now, dude. But it's awesome. I everybody says it is. I just got to find time. I got to do these podcasts. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will say about that that is rough about this right stuff section though is that they get uh, Tom Wolf's name wrong. They call him Tom Sharp. Like throughout the um the article, and that's not that guy's name, which is like a big fo- a big foul up, frankly. Wow! Like they Off like the Metquake. Seriously, like someone's got to get a big job done to him. Um, next up, there's a slain pinup by by a uh, Glenn Fabry who is like yep. fifty. You know, he won't start on slain till Prague four four eleven. So this is way ahead of time for him. Yeah, but re- but remember, we're talking about tryouts. Yeah, exactly. So that's part of I my think this is his tryout. Yeah, my theory. This is very just like, hey, can, like you know, here's this character slain. Can you give us like a splash page for it? You know, and I think right. it's real fun. It's definitely sort of you know, uh, Fabry sort of takes slain in a in a, in a direction that's different than both sort of McMahon and, and uh, Bellardinelli, and I I like his version of it for sure. Well, it's it's like every slain artist. Yeah, everyone was out, sort of was, was outdoing the other artist. Hey, I feel like that's a kind of healthy competition that only helps. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get and in Glenn, here for sure. Glenn, and Glenn Fabry or Fabry is—I don't know how to do guy. it. I'm sorry, but yeah, no, Fabry, he's a great guy in real life. I mean, he's just oh, that's amazing. A fun guy. <laughs> cool. Next up, there's an, another one of these like puzzles of Mega City One jargon and what those words mean. Just standard dread trivia thing. It's got some Walter pictures that just send shivers down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't like Walter? I mean, you know, <laughs> like I understand he's like, Walter. He's like Robin to Dread's Batman. I mean, yeah, but like the he's like the Robin to Dread's Batman from like when um when. Everybody asked if they wanted Holy Robin to be killed, and people said yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listen, but listen, isn't it less disturbing to have a robot sidekick than to have a teenage kid? I mean, yes, I think <laughs> we can all agree on that. Like, because right. because Walter dispenses drinks—that's a useful hobby <laughs> or a useful side thing. You know, <laughs> I just like the lisp. Just kind of like I don't know. It it, it messes me up sometimes. <laughs> But, sometimes you know in the early stories, sometimes he had it and sometimes he didn't. I mean, and I think I think it was during the day the law died where he really got the stutter because he was so afraid that his circuits kind of fizzled out. And that's yeah, where he got his. 
it's one of yeah, these things where you know they definitely like John Howard's only gonna you no know, John Howard loves people who speak in a lisp I think but he's only gonna go so far for the joke when it becomes hard to add W's to certain words you know well oh, there's man. some words in here that I haven't come across like Sivos uh, Munska. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes they have some weird, like, secondary, some th- things that I wonder if they're from, like, the, the, the Saturday strips, or they're just sort of, yeah, I, like, I made up completely. Out, I, I just think they're pulled out of somebody's ass. I mean, I mean block has it. Uh, you know what? They do have a Harry Potter uh, word in there. You see it? <laughs> oh, no, let me take a look. Oh, man. Oh, it's like, it's like one. <laughs> it's mugly. Oh, come on. These everybody's stealing from everybody. It's a terrible day. Well, two thousand AD does have a boy. Two thousand AD does have a boy wizard with a scar way before Harry Potter. You know that's right. I'm super stoked for Luke Kirby. Absolutely. Um, but okay. So speaking of blast from the past, oh yeah, it's thrill for flesh. Uh, script robot Kevin Armstrong, art robot listed as a Voy, letting robot Jack Potter. And this is a blast from the past, both because it's in like prehistoric times and because it's prog 8 through 10 action. Uh, just these early days of 2000 AD. We've got, um, Earl, Earl Reagan, Claw Carter, his buddy, and, uh, Earl's buddy Joe, and the rest. They're making their way back to Trans Time headquarters, but they gotta go through Dino Country to do so. Hey, hey, you know why Carver, um, no, you know why Reagan cares so much for Joe? Why? Because Joe is his gay lover. Oh, no, it gets lonely out there on the range in yeah. 65 million years but, ago, hey, billion I'm years ago. Kidding. I'm not kidding. When when Pat Mills bought, brought back flesh a few years ago, Joe was his gay lover. Ah, I don't so think that's, yeah. So that Ex- totally explains why he goes out of his way to save the, save Joe. Oh, I think friends can go out of their way to save each other as well, but nah, I, nah. who am I to argue nah. with Pat Mills, for sure? Nah, fuck <laughs> you, man. You're dinosaur food. <laughs> I mean, it's super fair, I guess. Um, yes, yeah, because so, Dino Country's super rough, man. We see a giant snake just eating a cowpoke, just, you know, right off the jump. And then old one eye shows up, um, who, in my opinion, is the tr- is the sh- is the trips is the strips true protagonist and the strongest female character in the first few years of two thousand AD. You're <laughs> absolutely right, pal. Absolutely right. I totally agree. I loved old one eye. Yeah, she's so awesome and really kicks ass in this story, in this section of the story specifically. Um, cause like Reagan and Co. have built a raft and they're escaping down river, but not before Claw Carver just sort of tosses a red shirt into the water for old one eye to eat. <laughs> Like to gain see, time the for them. See, there are no, there are no friends. No, yeah, well, no. Okay, don't you know? <laughs> don't align yourself with Claw Carver. That guy is some sort of time traveling dude. Come here, come here. <laughs> Claw Carver is actually the hero in the story too. Oh I'll, no! I'll tell you. Let me tell you why. Uh-huh. Reagan brought the fucking dinosaurs into his own into Carver City and destroyed it. No one mm, he's pissed off. That's true. See, yeah, there he was playing cards, getting drunk with the doc, having some fun. <laughs> And then comes in this piece of crap with it was with his boyfriend, and then he brings the dinosaurs oh, into and destroys the city. What do you expect him to do? Be all happy? I will say that Earl Reagan does leave a path of death and destruction behind him wherever he goes in the course of this comic. <laughs> oh. So the 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 guys are on this raft. It gets capsized by a giant uh, Phobosuchus. I don't know. It's a big gator dinosaur. <laughs> 
Um, it and Old One-Eye fight, and the cowboys escape, leaving a trap behind for the T-Rex. There's actually some panels that get cut out here that were in the original comics where, like, Old One-Eye actually falls in this uh, sp- uh, spike trap. And, um, like everybody, like, like, you know, celebrates and then heads out. But it was one of those, uh, pages where only half the comic is on the page and there's an advertisement yeah. underneath it. And so they just decided yeah. to just, j- just cut it out, basically. Yeah, they had a habit of doing that. They had a habit, even the Phantom Patrol, the one you read earlier. They oh, yeah. Cut, they would cut the crap out of that and just make it fit. I bet, man. Phantom Patrol had this weird, <laughs> Phantom Patrol was real weird and it's only semi. Like understandable, so I could believe that it would that it was cut to pieces for sure. Oh yeah, they did that all the time with the reprints. <laughs> but this takes us to the to the uh, Trans Time Express, <laughs> um, which is a what? It's a sightseeing uh, uh, time train, and there's a whiny kid on board. Ooh, these whiny kids. <laughs> The the train uses a T-Rex horn to scare away other dinosaurs, and Earl Reagan runs to stop them because the sound of another T-Rex is enough to rouse old One-Eye from being trapped in that spike pit. She uh she comes alive with anti-woman fury and attacks the train. They didn't show the kid being killed, did they? Well, they do, but, like, it's sort of, once it gets capped, like, after, like, all the, like, once it attacks in there, they put a, a, a censored bar over yeah. it with, with Tharg, you know. That, that little shit deserved it. Yeah. No Earthlet I mean, has the necessary 100G nervous system to see this picture in full. <laughs> yeah, that little shit deserved it, though. Even oh, yeah. Clark Harbor, you smell, mister. Uh, that's a backhand right there, man. I just think it's really, like, this kid dying on this train is really funny because, you know, this is like launch 2000 AD, so this kid is right in the demographic of the kids that are reading this story right when it comes out. <laughs> so it's really like, hey, like, don't think you're safe, uh, kid reading this, you know, Stephen Reed reading this comic in 1977, you know? <laughs> Darn tootin'. Exactly. That, that, that kid had it coming. Yeah, listen. When's, when's, so, the, last time, when's the last time you saw a kid getting, getting eaten by a dinosaur in a comic book? Um, oh, it, it, it actually happens again in ABC Warriors. <laughs> <When> <laughs> Never waste a good idea. When, uh, when Golgotha, like, um, um, gets loose and there's a bunch of T-Rexes there, they eat a kid too. Well, and, it's just and a, isn't, Gol, isn't Golgotha, um, oh, one of his great grandson. That's right. Yeah, it's the family yeah, it's, line. <laughs> yeah, family eating kids is part of their tradition. It's, yeah, right. It's a, it's a family rite of passage, you know? Yeah. How great, how great would this idea be on the big screen instead of Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? I mean, cowboys and dinosaurs, man! How awesome! And then at some stage, you had giant spiders. Yeah, listen, like that. Flesh Book One is a te- is just a great story, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, because listen, there's just something about cowboys, like on horses and jeeps, like herding these giant dinosaurs, and then they get in a fight, even- and then it ends with that big giant siege of all the dinosaurs, and then spiders coming up through the basement. It's awesome yeah. stuff. And, and people are singing the Yellow Rose of Texas. That's awesome. Right. But but uh, but even the idea of going back in time to dinosaurs are extinct, anyways. But let's use them yeah. for food. They the sort out of food shortage. That's genius. Yeah, no, it's real. Like it's such an amazing, like um, just science fiction concept, right? Of 
Like, that's that's why I pray, I absolutely pray that Warner Brothers will buy 2008 at some stage and turn these into movies. Oh man, that would be like so. Like honestly, I'd watch like even just like going through all the launch thrills, especially like listen, I'd watch an invasion movie. I'd watch a Harlem Heroes like weekly TV show. Like I don't care. Well, well didn't it's they all do, good. Did they just didn't they just do a, a Mac One type story? Uh, yeah, movie? I think on 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 Netflix there was one that was like heavily inspired by uh, by Mac yeah, One, not like guys. That they can got, say, but yeah, the guy's got yeah, ability. That computer in his brain that yeah. disagrees with him and argues with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. great ideas, man. Absolutely. Um, so, Claw, so Claw Carver and Joe are both shooting these T-Rexes as Earl Reagan forces this train to like, blast through some rocks that old one-eye blo- uh, uh, knocked in their way with her tail and stuff. They keep going. They escape and old one-eye has a heart attack but fights through it. And then just kind of like she like pass has a heart attack, passes out, then comes to and like rallies her band of T Rexes to go take down humanity once and for all. You know, um, if I ever have a heart attack, I'm just going to start biting myself because that gets rid of it. Apparently, that, well, that that is super cool, though. Isn't it? You got to be a hundred and twenty year old hag T Rex for it to really work. But well, I'm getting there. The all right, got to start sharpening there. those teeth right now. That's yeah. the, that's the Fight challenge. Them down. <laughs> so the trans time, you know, it bursts into trans time headquarters, and like everybody's safe. Like Claw Carver starts asking for rewards and sort of. Earl Reagan nixes him a little bit, and he's like, you know, wor- see, he's worried because the the final reckoning between man and dinosaur is coming soon. <laughs> see, he's he's absolutely right. Why shouldn't he have a reward? They fucking destroy the city. Oh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Earl Re- I, I I don't know how many video games you play, but Earl Reagan's pretty uh pretty dedicated to that Shepherd path instead of the Renegade path. You know, and that means <laughs> you can you can never take rewards for doing missions. That's what I've learned in video games. Oh. <laughs> Anyhow, but speaking of uh, rewarding activities, it's Thrill 5 Murals and Models, which is a photo section with people who have, like, painted images from 2080 on their walls, or one guy's made a uh, a Hammerstein uh, bust, and there's a full-size, like, plasticine rogue trooper uh, model, but for me, the best one is this guy whose mom has knitted him a Judge Dredd sweater, which is just amazing. They're all really, really good. Definitely. Like, there's also um, someone drew the uh, like the robot uh, riding another robot that Iscara did for uh, Prog 179 on his wall, and it looks really I, nice. I think, I think that's Dave Gibbons. Oh, Dave Gibbons, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think that's Dave. Yeah, but that's amazing, man. It's yeah. I'd, I'd imagine you'd have to do like a like like a grid thing and sort of do it like that. But it looks real great. That's the total like uh, like you get you the coolest bedroom on the block for sure. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. And then when you hit the teenage years and you're interested in girls, you have to paint over it. You, you know, you got to kind of or just like you know you you, you got to cover it in like uh, heavy metal posters or something like there that. You, go. you know, like you got you know change your allegiances a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you, girls are not going to like you with that on your wall, dude. You can't paint over that masterpiece. And then, then when you hit 30s and 40s, you're like, son of a bitch, i got to remove that so I can see that glorious picture. <laughs> That's why you got to do the posters. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. you gotta got to think, you know, think ahead with this stuff or whatever. Oh, man. But speaking of things that are awesome, let's go to Thrill 6 Invasion. 
script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Mike Dory, letting robot Jack Potter. And this is Prague 8 action, I think probably one of the first Mike Dory um, invasions. And these are always a fun one, like Fox and, uh, Fox and Me. This is uh, it, Invasion is one of our all-time favorite um, thrills, just especially in these early days, but just going forward, too. Like, we actually had, like, a whole conversation, like Bill Savage was an old friend of ours, and being like, oh, remember that time that, like, Bill Savage, uh, <laughs> like, killed all those dudes with, like, a gun hidden in his pants pocket or something? <laughs> or, or the one where he had a duck strapped to his head hiding in a pool of water. Hey, that's always my favorite one. Quack, quack, Volgs forever. <laughs> <laughs> But so in, in this one, we're sort of in the middle of things. Um, all uh, Bill Savage has gathered all the families of the resistance movement onto uh, double decker buses and they're driving into Heathrow to steal the uh, new Concord Mark three to get them out of England. And, ooh, it's just real fun. Um, you know, B- B- Bill Savage, like, starts thinking, like, oh, it's nice to be a behind the wheel of a truck again, because, of course, he's, like, a lorry driver. Um, and then they just start shooting their way in, essentially. You know that his, um, that uh, Savage was based on Stanley Baker? Hmm. I the think... actor Stanley Baker. It was a, it's a movie called Hell Drivers. I, I think I have heard that. I think even I mentioned that when I was on, on, on his show. But, yeah, I just... um. I love this character of Bill Savage just being all, like, he's so crazy and just, uh, you know, always succeeds no matter what the odds, which is really, I don't know, it's, it's really fun for me, I guess. And he's the, he's the only, later on you'll find out, he's the only real conservative hero in all of 2000's lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Considering I think he's I've, written by Pat. Pat which Mills is amazing for Pat Mills, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> Pat, is, Pat is so far left, he goes in circles. Right, but, but he, um, yeah. Which is good, which is good. Pat's point of views are always interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Bill is Bill is the only conservative. Now he's more of an independent now, but he he was he started off as a conservative. I mean, you got to think that your political views would change over time as you deal with like Vogue occupied Europe and stuff. <laughs> exactly, and you, and when you de- when you deal with uh, the likes of Howard Quartz, it's true. I mean, yep. you know, it's a whole thing for sure. Um, so this story end or culminates with them getting everybody aboard the Concorde and the Concorde taken off and these Volgan jets like scrambling to shoot them down. But when they fire their missiles, uh, the missiles turn around and blow themselves up because they're heat seeking missiles and the Concorde Mark III uses a cold fusion engine. So I guess it just doesn't give off heat, I guess. It's it's a you know even the ending of it when he said that his son his son Kelvin was nuts on planes and models mm-hmm. the models you had back in those days were little pl- cheap plastic things that you broke off and glued together there's well, no way there was technical specs uh, but you got to remember that these are 1999 models as seen from <laughs> 1977 so who knows what they could be you know <laughs> like, yes it's the future it's the it's the distant future 1999 when this story's taking place. Um, I like the uh, the nod to uh, then editor Kelvin Gosnell also as the uh, with the name of uh, Savage's son. Yeah, and I'm for the record, I'm pretty sure that neither cold fusion engines nor um, heat seeking missiles actually work that way. But it's good enough, you know. <laughs> the the real moral of the story is that we got to kick these Volgs out of England. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and when you, when you're a kid, you don't know any different. So it's like, oh, that's oh, yeah. awesome. No, this is very much like you know. Me being a, a grown-up spoiled sport when I'm like, hey, that's not how it happened. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> um, so next up, uh, or I guess speaking of a brighter tomorrow, it's Thrill 7 Future Shocks. 
It's another one. This one's a reprint from Prague 31. Um, and the writer is written as A and Other. Um, so it's an obvious pen name. And, but it was interesting because I looked on Barney and it didn't have a, uh, there, there's no entry or it just says unknown for it. Like this is one that doesn't have an attributed writer to it, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Um, the artist is uh, Horatio Lalia and the Letting Robots Jack Potter. And, you know, this is a reprint from 31. It's a pretty basic future shock again. The Earth is super overcrowded, but there's an offer for new life in a distant paradise world. And we see just a bunch of, like, jerks, con men, and corrupt rich guys all, like, getting tickets through nefarious means. Um, they beam all these, like, future jerks down onto a new world, and they find out that it's a, a frozen hell, and the ship sort of flies off, like, tutting at them, basically. Like, oh, if you guys become less jerks, or you is the only way you won't die down here on this new planet. I've, a, I've seen this, we've seen this done so many different times, though. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's the same thing as, uh, as that one, sh- as uh, that ship in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, that, like, they put all the useless people on a ship and sort of send it to yeah. colonize the stars. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all these like yeah, this you know you find all the all the bad folks and put them on the uh, on the sh- on a ship and that's it. I think my favorite one. It's, was a, it's a, you know what it's a yeah. it's a, it's a great immigration policy and I can't wait for Space Force to implement it. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> these these jokes coming to you from uh, June June twenty fourth. <laughs> <laughs> But just because I'm, sh- I'm sure Lord knows what fresh hell will be there when this episode comes out. But um, <laughs> I uh, I think my favorite one of these was an Alan Moore one where uh, there was a ship that was full of werewolves. But like oh, they all the vampire. Yeah. The and then and, and then yeah. end with like ended with a, with them setting up a ship full of vampires. <laughs> and it was just yeah. all these guys in like um, real obvious vampire disguises. <laughs> like yeah. trying to get That's really funny. What's your what's your name? Alucard. That's uh, right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> You know, I thought that was really cheesy until I seen that. They did a Batman animated show um, where it was um, Mm -hmm. not the animated series. It was after that when he made him real thin looking. Mm -hmm. And they had Batman versus Dracula and his name in it was Alucard. I'm like, dude, (laughs) you're you're the world's greatest detective and you don't even notice that. Yeah, I think it's it's only slightly less obvious than someone uh, claiming to be a uh, to be a medical practitioner and saying that their name is Dr. Acula, you know, my favorite one. Um, oh, it's terrible stuff. Yeah. But speaking of uh, bloodsuckers, I guess, it's Thrill 8 Rogue Trooper. And I want to say that this one sort of feeds into my uh, tryout theory as well, because the script robot is uh, Simon Geller as uh, Sim 1. Uh, mm-hmm. Art robot Brett Ewins, Lego robot Bill Nuttall. And um, this is like... Brett, uh, uh, Simon Geller's just come on in 1984 as an assistant editor, but he um, he won't have actually writing in the pub in a published in 2080 until like uh, Prague 495. So this is some of his first uh, published work in 2080, at least. Yeah, and he's uh, partly responsible for the ruining of Rogue Trooper with all that hit one nonsense. Mm-hmm. All the uh, all the post Trader General stuff. Yeah, but then again, after 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 uh, the Trader General's gone, that's the end of Rogue. The strip that's its natural ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I I. I agree. I think it's just you know sometimes you, you got to know when to when to when to know when to hold them, know when to fold them for these ones. <laughs> and the Trader What's General for sure is such a fun, um, su- such a fun and an interesting part of Rogue Trooper that once he's gone, it's sort of like ah, oh, I guess you know. Um, but anyhow, this story 
<laughs> is uh, is a uh, is about the city of Rabat that lot uh, where there's a gang of murderers and parasites of the future war on New Earth called the Vagadin, and their newest member is Rogue Trooper. Whoa. <laughs> Um, there's real fun Brett Ewan's art, just a lot of, um, like guys with cybernetics and stuff that always reminds me of like bad company and things. Everybody's got yeah. a big mohawk, basically. Yep. Um, and it's one of these things, basically the, the Vagadin have, or, uh, sorry, I should get, get going. Um, yeah. So Rogue and Gunner are real happy to join the Vagadin. Uh, Bagman and Helm aren't. And when the call comes in to take out a Souther convoy, one of the Vagadin members, uh, Rosa the Nort, is keen to see Rogue kill some Southers himself. Uh, Rogue does a good job barely flinching when the Vagadin gun down some Souther prisoners. Um, but it seems like um, all these targets come from the Vagadin computer, which Rosa is in charge of, basically. Um Helm, um, Helm and Bagman uh, jeer at Rogue and call him like a murderer and stuff. But we soon see through a flashback that all of this is a ruse because uh, Rogue has noticed that the Vagadin have mostly been hitting Southers at this um, recently as opposed to sort of both sides. And so he wants to see like what's up, why they've changed their targets. Um, so while he's been pretending to go on missions, Helm and Bagman have been hacking into the Vagadin computer, and they realize that it's got a direct line to Nord intelligence. Rosa must be a Nord agent. Well, two can play at that game. <laughs> and the next day, when the Vagadin go for a target, the target turns out to be Nords because the Helm and Bagman have faked the data, and it's not just like a small patrol that they've been uh, preying on, but in fact a whole Nord army. The blue-skinned devil. Yeah, now they have a big uh, showdown, or a, like they realize that that it's a trap, and uh, like Rogue has to show down with a couple members of the Vagadin, including Rosa, and he just like shoots her right in the face, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> 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 just, I don't know. It's inter- it's always interesting seeing like like real violence in all of these comics, I guess. Like when you know you see like rosa from the start like taking or from the front taking some bullets and stuff it's uh, it's, it's unusual i guess 2008 the comic that shoots women in the face i mean you know they'll do it <laughs> like, <laughs> other uh, there are other comics that could not make that claim i'd say that <laughs> so basically so yeah rogue takes down rosa and then he bugs out as the vagadin die to a uh, nort fire as Rogue escapes, he detonates charges he left in the Vagadin Fortress that night, and it blows up, and completely blows up. And he and the chips wander off into the dust of New Earth. There's only room for one set of outlaws in New Earth, and it's Rogue and the chips. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was actually pretty okay. I mean, yeah, I thought it had some good, like, battle moments and stuff. I mean, it's it's interesting when Rogue and the chips kind of bicker and have disagreements and stuff, just because, like... They don't really have a ton of agency, sort of being stuck in his in his gear and stuff. Like you know, if Helm doesn't want you to do something, all he can do is kind of yell at you, and it's sort of it's you know it's not a really equal relationship. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, Gunner can always jam on you. Yeah, I mean, you know, Gunner's got you know the other two obviously have more have more re- have more resources. I mean, Gunner can just sort of fly around and shoot at you, and Bagman actually has arms, so it's a different thing. <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's interesting just when they sort of do stories that look like the Chips and, and Rogue sort of have, like, difficulties and stuff. And it's fun seeing Brett Ewins draw Rebels, I guess. I like the way he draws those guys with their cybernetic eyes and mohawks and stuff. Yeah, like uh, like straight out of Mad Max or something. Absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of us strangely dressed folks, it's Thrill 9 Daily Dreads. 
which is increasingly becoming one of my favorite parts of these specials, I got to say. Oh, dude, you, you don't love these? There's something wrong no, with No, I do. The, yeah, they're so good. Um, yeah, so it's John Wagner, Alan Grant writing, Art Robot, Ron Smith, Letting Robots, uh, Tom Frame, Steve Potter, and Jack Potter. And yeah, it's more comics from the Daily Star. These are just so great for uh, just the hyper-compressed storytelling. We always talk about like just telling a whole like dread story with a beginning, middle, and end like in the, in the course of like two rows of panels, basically. Um, and they give Ron and, and Ron Smith just does an amazing job of just creating these huge, even these huge crowd scenes and stuff just in a uh, in like a, a a weekly comic strip. It's really awesome. Yeah, his Daily Star work is is uh, right up there with with his best. I mean, it's just beautiful work. Absolutely. So we start with a story called Star Laws, which is uh, basically Dread uh, pulls into the Megavision Song Contest to uh, arrest a band that's dressed up like judges and then as a force to, to arrest the entire audience when they object to this and throw tomatoes at them. Ready 1500 ISO cubes. Have you seen <laughs> the, the Megavision song contest? Is oh yeah, it's like Eurovision. Eurovision. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's is same... really bad and really tacky. <laughs> I know it's just everybody in like crazy costumes and stuff like that and that definitely yeah. this they like all ju- deserve to be locked up. <laughs> <laughs> this this Judge Dread themed one seems like it it, it it fit in quite well, I think. Uh, the next story is Too Good to Last. It's about Heavy Black, a rich guy who inherits his father's fortune and starts giving it away. Soon he's like tossing millions of dollars out the window and Dread arrests him for starting a riot. Even good guys have to do time in Mega City 1. <laughs> That's a great punchline. It's so like yeah, just listen. Like you know, you tr- you do bad stuff. You go to the cubes. You try to do like, like a good deed. You go to the cubes. You go to the cubes. <laughs> Next, there's a it's a spray with flowers. There's a new fad, Mega City One, which is injecting a seed into your skin so that a flower grows out of you. Which I swear to God is like two months away <laughs> in real life. <laughs> oh, but. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting, but Dread bumps into a guy who's completely covered in plants and thinks he's become a human garden. He they send him in to the uh, the kook coop, and uh, the robot psychiatrist suggests the standard stuff of uh, you know electroshock and reality enforcing drugs and stuff. Meanwhile, Dread suggests a heavy mulch. But um, <laughs> uh, that's one of those ones that I feel like started with the punchline and sort of worked backwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 Ron Smith's artwork in, in this is so good. Like oh, it's the great. Yeah, battle where he's so happy. Yeah, because he's 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 come to terms with things and he's like calling all the pollinating insects onto him because he was previously afraid of like yeah. caterpillars and things that would eat his leaves and stuff. Yeah, it's real good. Real shades of uh of Father Earth and that storyline too yeah. of um plant covered dudes and stuff. Uh, next, there's Denizens of the Deep. A perp tries to lose Dread by heading into the Undercity. Dread gives him five minutes uh, between rats and mutants and everything else. He actually makes it five and a half before he comes back up and begs Dread <laughs> to arrest him. This is a great one of just all the crazy, like, uh, like killer rats, underground mutants and stuff. Just the, the look of terror this guy gets on his face is Ron Smith really doing a great job with the art, I think. Yeah, if you think the city's bad, try the undercity. Oh my god, way worse. <laughs> I like I like that Dred's looking at his watch, going uh, yeah. on his on his globe, going five and a half. Not bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Good job. <laughs> In a don't lose your head. There's a scientist 
who's showing off his matter transporter, but Dredd is there to arrest him for larceny because he used a prototype version of the transporter to steal money to develop it, and when he did, he left parts of him behind, including his left foot, his hip, and his nose. <laughs> um, the scientist tries to tell... And you can kind of see that he's got kind of a weird, like, uh, like bionic nose that sort of he's replaced his stuff with. Um, Dredd, he tries to teleport away, but Dredd stops him. He, uh, he shoots the teleporter, and it looks like the scientist has left something else behind. His head. Just a big severed head at the end, <laughs> looking all gross. Isn't, isn't that a great Ron Smith panel? Just a head? Oh, absolutely. It looks like, yeah. it looks like a, uh, his hair looks like an exclamation mark. Oh yeah, he's like, got ooh, he's got ooh. just a little just the little spray coming off the top. It's yeah, excellent. And and actually has the the uh, Ron Smith pose where he, he's drawing the gun from his from his uh Oh yeah, from his ankle. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it, and it doesn't look doesn't look bad at all, but anybody else was to draw that, it would look really bad. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The final one is uh Dante's Inferno. Uh there's a perp who refuses to surrender to the judges. He sets the block alight with a laser. Dread jumps in, grabs the perp while he's on fire, douses him in a waterbed, and escapes. The perp asks, why did you save me? And the answer is that no one escapes justice in Mega City 1. <laughs> it's just a fun, like, super... Like, this one was sort of, I don't know. This was sort of my 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 least favorite one just because it's a little harder to follow the action, I guess. But um, um, still real fun, just people jumping around and, like... Throwing people into waterbeds and stuff like there's, that. There's there's no there's no gimmick to it. It's very uh, straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, it's very like yeah, it's very just like all right, like here's sort of this no action. Punchline, Let's get going. No nothing. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, but I love. I'm I'm like, like when I hadn't really read them, I was kind of down on these daily dreads, but they're increasingly becoming my favorite parts of these um, uh, specials. Like I said, just because they're just real, like the the art's fun. Like they just kind of tell a story that uh, it, it it you know doesn't overstay its welcome just kind of gets to the end and you're like all right like that was fun usually there's a pun or something that i always appreciate because i'm like not a good person i guess <laughs> <laughs> no they, they they are quite funny and, and there is a lot of dark humor in them but now and again you'll get one like this is yeah. it's just kind of straightforward yeah there's ups and downs i guess but speaking of uh joking around it's thrill 10 laugh and the whole world laughs with you which is the uh is the fan art section of the special um, there's some good puns in here, like uh, Tharg, the chairman of 2000 AD, and he's an actual like uh, Tharg couch. Oh, which, uh, oh. man, I would get a Tharg couch in my living room so fast. <laughs> there's there's motor dread with dread as the motorhead um, symbol. The lace dreadmobile. He's trying to get a Model T to work. Um, my favorite one is off duty dread, where it's Walter trying to pry one of Dread's boots off as he like sits in a chair, and his his shelves are full of books that just are just these giant thick books that just say law on them over and over again. That would that, that would actually be a if they were going to do a star scan of that, that would actually suited the uh, first hundred issues of uh, two thousand eight. If they had to put that in there. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think it would definitely fit in. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's the right kind of period. humor and the right kind of like, yeah, like Walter and Dread like playing off each other and stuff. Uh, the last one is um, after a hard day's work, Dread likes to hit the sack, and it's a uh, uh, a trace of the gaze of the fist of Dread picture. <laughs> With him hitting a guy whose coat says sack on the back, which is a reference that I don't get, I don't think. No, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't get that one either. But like, I literally sack, get it? Yeah. I definitely get, yeah. I understand the joke, 
but I, I, I did spend like uh, five minutes looking up uh, SAC as an abbreviation, and I there's a lot of things that that's an abbreviation for, but not anything that makes sense here. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get that one either. Yeah, and speaking of things that I don't get, it's Thrill Eleven: The Nightcomers. This is an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's always these tech stories and these specials that are like, you know, why you got to ruin a perfectly good special by having a tech story right at the end, you know? Like, we were doing so well. Um, it's like, it's th- like when Grant Morrison did that Batman issue and it's all tech. You're like, exactly, oh, yeah, screw like, it. this is not what I was signed up for when I started to do po- uh, comic stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but so this one's actually a sequel to uh, the, the tech story from the uh, sci fi special last year. Which was also written by, so this one's written by, uh, by Chris Louder as J.H. Teed and the art robots, Tre- uh, uh, Trev Goring. Uh, and that one was actually like a backdoor sequel to, um, to Timequake, the, the story he, he wrote for, uh, uh Star Lord. Like it actually right. had like some Timequake characters in it and stuff in, in, in that one. This one's more just sort of this, uh, 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 a story about the same character, this sort of hard-boiled private detective who is now in England, and he time slips back to sometime in 1947 when two feuding English families have their final showdown, I guess. Um, it's okay. It sort of, like, does a lot of, like, um, what do I want to say? Well, like, Trev, Trev Goring was a was an artist on the, down there uh, towards the end. Oh, nice. Down there episodes. Yeah. But, Don't know if you noticed that. I, I forgot what Trev Goring did. I, I, I like his art a lot in this story. Um, like, especially the first picture of like this guy kind of looking at this lady who's laughing, wearing a fur coat with an axe and stuff. That's a really cool right. picture. Um, the rest the of the story is, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say that this story just kind of is more trading on more like hard boiled detective, like film noir kind of tropes. And so it's kind of forgettable, I guess. It's just kind of a weird, yeah, it doesn't, like, it, doesn't, it kind of doesn't really have its place in 2008, does it? No, it's very different from everything else. And like, you know, it's just sort of, yeah, it's just sort of telling this, you know, it's telling this story and there's a time slip in it and like whatever. So it's kind of science fiction-y, but it, it, it's way different than the standard kind of stories that they right. tell, even like in the text pieces and stuff. I think there was a series in Scream. I don't know if you know about Scream, the uh, UK comic Scream. I think it's just... Lasted. Um, I, I know about it just cause we're just starting to see like ads for it in, in yeah. the comics we're covering now. Like, you know, I think the that first be, issue's coming out with like a pair of, of a vampire teeth and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That would be worth reading on your, on your own time because, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think there was a, there was a strike that came about in the yeah, yeah. end of that comic book, but I think they didn't want it anyways because it was too, um, IBC were too, too much stickers for it that, mm. I mean, Pat Mills always said that you, he thinks that, they they just didn't bring it back. Um, but if if Scream had it continued, it probably would have been it would have lasted as long as 2008 today. Because hmm. um, those issues were amazing. But they had a strip in it called the Nightcomers as well. Oh, interesting. Um, that's different than this. It, it's Weird. different. But it's just <laughs> funny that it was titled the Nightcomers. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting that you reused that title. I guess. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, I haven't read Scream. Seri- sounds seriously interesting though, for sure. Yeah, seriously though, it's only 14 issues or 13 issues, but. Um, definitely worth your time to, to check them out. Yeah, I know we're right on the edge of that strike in our in the in, in the live show, so it's definitely going to be a big thing to look out for there too. But yeah, yeah, because because even in the strikes, 2018 missed one or two weeks. Yeah, I think they miss like I think they miss July. I believe they go right from June to August. I think 
in right. in those ones. But yeah, I'm interested, you know, horror comics are sort of they're they're always this old like staple that are always super controversial. Like I mean, it was it was horror comics that sort of got like com- that got the comics code instituted here in America, you know, of like those old like um like EC was, comics and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But it was old horror comics, U.S. horror comics that's, that actually give birth to Eagle. In the yeah, 50s. I mean, they're also the things that, like, inspire everybody to do comics as well. Yeah. You know, well, Eagle, of... Eagle, Eagle in the 50s was brought about as a, as a, to be, um, a counterpoint to, like, another point of view to oh, the EC comics mm-hmm. that were flooding the, the UK market because American mm-hmm. GIs would have the horror comics. Then kids would read, <laughs> right. and this reverend and this reverend Marcus Morris saw it and go, "Hey, instead of going out and banning it, he said, I'm going to do something that's better and that's more wholesome." <laughs> and so he created Dan. Well, Frank Hampson created Dan there, but yeah. that's where it came about in the fifties. Oh, that's of, that's really cool. Yeah, I yeah. like the idea of that for sure. That's way better than being like, "Oh, let's ban all this stuff." Lord knows. Yeah, to do something different to to, to combat it or to yeah. you know as an alternative. Absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of uh, starting new magazines, it's Thrill 12, Data File, Bert, and Ads. So we sort of finish this this special up with a Data File special on uh, editor droid Bert, who um, has just left 2080. Richard Burton just le- uh, left 2080 you know, at the end of 1983 to work on uh, Big K, a computer magazine, I believe. Yep, um, and, then he, and then he worked on Sonic the Comic. Yeah, that's right. Until and eventually making his way back to 2000 AD, of course, in uh, yeah. l- later in the 80s. Um, early, I don't know, but yeah, he's on. He'll be back. We'll see you later, Bert. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was the second time he left. He, he did Sonic the Comic. Yeah, I think that's right for the timeline. But yeah, oh, you know, I love the. I like. Well, I'm not a huge fan, I guess, of the actual, like, Thark the Mighty comics. I do like seeing all these caricatures of the artists as robots and stuff. I think those are always really fun. Yeah, it's a, uh, they're, they kind of have their place, their moment. I mean, it's, sure, it's, it's certainly a early, not, an early 80s sort of thing, but at, at the moment, there's enough novelty for them, I guess you might say, that I, makes them enjoyable for me. And then this, uh, comic ends up, we get some ads for the upcoming annuals, the 2000 AD and Judge Dredd one, which we'll be covering on this show in a couple weeks. And then the big back page has an ad for Forbidden Planet, which is pretty cool. Um, it's, and the Eagle, and the Eagle comic reprints. Yeah, it's got, it's full of, or mine just has, yeah, has Forbidden Planet and then uh, Judge Dredd and 2080 merchandise, all this, um, yeah, all these different comics, um, and then like early graphic novels, I guess, the collections of like the Judge Child and Nemesis and stuff. No, they're, they're actually, they're actually Eagle Comics, uh, uh, they're US uh, reprints of, of the stories that were, came out color monthly. Oh, that's right. Back in the 80s. Interesting. And even the Kevin O'Neill nemesis, Kevin O'Neill went back in and changed some of the panels of, of the U.S. version so it all matched perfectly. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's amazing. I like. There's so much these like little pieces that I, I've I've never seen that that seems so cool, but I'm like must be lost to history. And now. and and you know the artist John M. Burns, mm-hmm. he actually colored some of them as well. Oh, neat. Kevin O'Neill colored nemesis, I think, and then yeah. John M. Burns did. Some of the dread stuff, and I think mm-hmm. even Ian Gibson went back in and redid some of the Robo Hunter stuff for the first couple of issues. Interesting, because because the initial the, the first Robo Hunter artist was somebody different. It was Ferrer, Jose Ferrer, 
Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He did some of the like, yeah, the the right, the early ones, and then Ian Gibson took yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. And I think Ian Gibson and Robo Hunter went in and changed some of those panels. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I think it's really interesting to see like you know all these comics to see this this advertisement at the end like. There's never any, there usually aren't ads in these things, so it's cool to see, like, the, I don't know, this relationship that 2000 AD and Forbidden Planet had at this point is sort of be, you know, they're sort of working together and putting out new versions of the comics and stuff. Well, Eagle, Eagle was, was its own entity. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, the thing with Eagle was, like the Eagle comics, they're eventually taken over by Quality Comics, which was, uh, the, forget the title, Quality, because they were never quality. Oh, no. But, but Eagle, I think they sold around thirty to forty thousand a month. Wow! And this That's... is back in the eighties. But back in the eighties, comic you know you had the Punisher or or comic book selling like gangbusters, like two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, whatever. Yeah. But people will kill for those numbers now. Oh yeah, no, it's yeah, it, it it's always like. That's the thing I really like. I guess it's sort of the expansion of other things that like. Um, oh, video games. Yeah, and... that that people read instead of or do instead of comics. But yeah, like even the even the worst selling comic in like the seventies or early eighties has numbers that would change the game in modern. Oh, like, oh, like I, I, I read stories where the editor of the Punisher titles in the nineties was hitting the wall or getting pissed off because the Punisher dipped under a million copies. Right. Yeah. If you sold a million, a million comic book, a million, a million copies of your comic book in uh, nowadays, it would be a genre defining. Like it would be like oh, that would be dude, the only comic that would be out. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a, it's a an amazing change of just yeah of how comics have changed. I guess oh, in in our lexicon, right? Yeah. If you listen to any interviews with Grant Morrison, he talks about Arkham Asylum was the first hardcover graphic novel of its type, and because of the money he made on that through royalties and everything else, he was able to take a year off and travel. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that would never happen today. No. <laughs> that's cool. But hey, so with that, man, Stephen Reed of the Everything Comes Back to 2080 podcast, we finished this sci-fi special. Oh, man. We're awesome it's, a, it's a good blast in the past. Absolutely. And, you know, now that we're nearing the end, I have one question for you, and that was what were your top and bottom thrills of this 1984 sci-fi special? Uh, my top thrill... Are we including reprints? Yeah, anything anything okay. goes. Uh, the the daily dreads. Um, the, nice. The, well, the weekly dreads. The the uh, <laughs> once bit ones. Yeah, probably I call be, them, yeah. be my high point. Um, and my low point. I I love the flesh reprint. Mm-hmm. There's there's something kind of goofy about the old reprints, but they have a charm to them. Absolutely. And um, probably my worst story would be the nightcomers. I know uh, nobody wants to read text in the special. Absolutely. That's so true. I think for me, um, I really liked. I you know I, I love all the reprints and invasions. My favorite. Um, I actually like Judge Dredd in this one. I think the uh, the uh, the the with the Cliff Robinson art and stuff. I think that's a real fun Dread story. Um, just sort of doing this game show stuff and being and 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 being a, a funny fun Dread story. That's also sort of a slice of life of Mega City One of this sort of just the craziness that's constantly going on in the city. You know. Yeah. And then yeah. And then for my bottom, I don't know. It's hard to pick. Um, you know, I will definitely say, you know, the, the night comers is all, it's, it's never good when we get these, um, tech stories. I hate them so much. I don't care if it makes me sound like an ugly American. I'm like, oh, I don't like to read words. No, but. no. Listen, even, even me as a reader, and I guarantee a lot of UK readers feel the same way. It's definitely something my, my eyes, just, like, I gotta really work to read all these stories because my eyes just glaze over stuff. Um, but I'm gonna say, yeah. 
that's my that, that's my bottom. That's fine. All right. <laughs> Awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, or the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else. Look at Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Stephen, how can we find everything comes back to 2000 AD? Besides well, just sort of letting the natural processes work, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're actually on Libsyn. If you go to ECBT 2080.libsyn.com, we're on there. And also, we have a website, 2080.wordpress.com. So you can get us there. And, um, yeah. That's uh, that's how you get us. Um, we don't have any contact information or anything like that. If you want to send a message, you'll probably have to reply on one of our posts on the on the WordPress site. Awesome. All right. So come oh, back. Oh, 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 oh please. We're also on Facebook as well. Like, I nice. Think yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't deal with any of that. We're on Twitter. John. John. <laughs> with that. I, I'm like, listen. The whole thing of the podcast, we, we do it. We send it out, and if two people listen to it, we're happy. You know, we're, we're just oh. fine. I definitely know. I I know that feeling for sure. It's always, but uh, you know, it's great for for people to listen to your stuff and let you know about it. That's my that's my favorite thing. It always lifts my spirits when someone sends me an email and I'm like, all right, like I'm not just talking into the void, you know. No, <laughs> you, you guys are doing good. I mean, I I love listening to it. It's such a such fun to hear you guys being so optimistic. Oh, thanks. I like I, your I show. Think, yeah, it, I listen to your show a lot too. It's real great. Compared to ours. Oh, you know, there's room for all uh, viewpoints. You guys I are like the classic. You guys are like classic Luke Skywalker, and we're classic Darth Vader. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, come back next time as Dread gets involved in high society. Slain continues the dragon heist. Dr. and Quinch go to Hollywood, and Johnny Alpha becomes an outlaw. Until then, I'm Conrad E. Steven, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Earth Rig. Yeah.